You're listening to Cam's Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. this is Nikki Scott and welcome to the latest edition of CAMS Talk. Today we have some young people and professionals from CAMS with us and we're talking about the, some of the different types of therapy that we have on offer here. So should we do some introductions? Hi, I'm Lucy and I'm a service user. Hi, I'm Gemma, I'm a trainee CBT therapist. Hi, I'm Dr Charlotte Bolt, I'm a clinical psychologist. Hi, I'm Jay, I'm a service user as well. Hi, I'm Mark and I'm one of the uh, nurse therapists that works in the CAMS team. Okay, so a lot of people don't actually know about the different types of therapy um, that are available at CAMS and maybe think that we only do talking therapies. Um, We've had a previous episode where we talked about art therapy with one of our art psychotherapists, Kat. Um, Gemma, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do at CAMS? What's your role at CAMS? Yeah, so I do CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Cognitive is just like a fancy word for thoughts. So it looks at how our thoughts, feelings and behaviours are all connected together. Um, It's really collaborative um, and it can be quite creative. And I think a lot of people don't know that. So I've heard a lot of people talk about there's a lot of worksheets, but you can always make it really creative. So I enjoy sort of working with young people to kind of pitch it to sort of what their likes are as well. Okay, so I think both of you, you um, Lucy and Jay, you've both had experience, haven't you, of yeah. CBT? What? How has it helped you? What benefits have you found from it? Um, I've done CBT a number of times over the last few years for various things, and I think for me, it really helped with anxiety when I first started um, getting help for my mental health. Um, I found that really beneficial, but for other things that I got it for, it wasn't as helpful for me. Yeah, and I think that's that's quite important. I mean, the evidence base for anxiety is it's really effective. So we do things like exposure and sort of behavioural experiments. I don't know, have you had any experience kind of with doing any of those things when you were working on your anxiety? Um, I don't know, it's a long time ago really, but um, I remember some of it I still use now to like manage my anxiety. Yeah, and it can be really helpful for depression as well. And I guess evidence-wise, sometimes slightly less so than anxiety, but we would do things like behavioral activation. So with depression, it's about kind of looking at doing some more activities because some young people kind of with depression find that they're doing less and less. Um, and sometimes that can impact on your mood as well. Um, so what we encourage young people to do is maybe more activities. However, for some people, it might be the opposite. They're doing loads and loads of stuff and actually that can be really unhelpful. Um, so we also look at patterns. So what is helpful when, what, is, what isn't so helpful? Because there's certain things that people might be doing that kind of in the short term help them cope, but actually longer term can actually be quite unhelpful. So we look at that and a lot of that is kind of, that's sometimes where worksheets come in, but I will always ask young people if they wanna kind of do it on their phone or if they can think of any creative ways, I'm really open to that. Um, And we kind of track mood and kind of look at what you're doing during the day. And you know, you can tell quite a lot through that, but I think it's really important that young people understand why they're doing it. Cause I think some things with CBT, if it's not always explained well, people are like, 
why are we doing this? And I don't really understand. And I think actually, as long as we explain why we're doing things, um, I find it helps quite a lot of young people, but it takes a lot of time to kind of make sure that they understand and kind of get why we're doing certain things. Yeah, and personalising it to people as well, I think it's really important, making sure when you set goals and things that there's like meaningful activities that you want to do or bringing it alive and actually doing things in session, like going out for walks or whatever. And um, and that's how I integrate Ruby, the therapy dog, who we, we didn't introduce her to me. <laughs> oh, bless her. She'll wag her tail and bang on the mic. Um, yeah, it's, it, so I, I work with different models. Um CBT being one of them and that's how I like to introduce her is you know going for walks and doing active things in therapy and sort of bringing it alive and making it meaningful to people did you have any experience of doing anything like that in sessions Um, either of you I didn't in my CBT I didn't go out and about and things but in other help that I have like with um, support workers and things like that Mm -hmm. Lucy how about you what's your experience been of um, well, well, I'm still having it right now, so it's a bit more recent. But I've never been out and about, but I like it being a little bit more visual, even if you're not leaving the therapy room. Whereas I'd always been used to talking therapy, and sometimes it could be a bit awkward and the same. Um, so we did a lot of things like putting options up on the wall, things on the floor, things on the table, just to, you know, make it a bit more diverse, I guess. Mm. And are you finding it helpful? You said you're still having your therapy at the moment. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, (laughs) it probably isn't the most strict CBT structure, but it works for me and it is kind of personalised, like they were saying earlier. So I think that's what makes it good for me as well. And I think that's key because I think a lot of young people have this perception sometimes of like you come and the therapist tell you what to do and kind of actually CBT should be really collaborative. So the goals that we're working on should be yours. Um, and also it should be kind of, especially if you're doing ang- like having it for anxiety, going out and kind of doing things outside the clinic room is also really important and I think really, really helpful. But I think like Lucy was saying, it's really important to kind of tailor it to each young person as well. Mm. Because everyone's different, aren't they? You talked about exposure therapy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of do exposure therapy in things like if you've got a specific phobia um, and sometimes with social anxiety, but we would normally do that alongside behavioural experiments, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, But it's about facing some of those anxieties. So we spend a lot of time um, talking to a young person. So say they have social anxiety, we would look at kind of the situations that they're avoiding and kind of together come up with a hierarchy and we would work on that. So it might be that they're really scared of meeting new young people, but their goal is they really want to make friends and they feel quite isolated. So we would work towards meeting new people, but that might be top of the list because for some young people, actually meeting a new person might be too scary. So we look at ways of breaking that down and how we could get there as well. And we take it at your pace because I think that's really important as well. Just making sure that we don't do things too quickly, but get that balance between kind of sometimes pushing out of the comfort zone because anxiety, you know, it completely makes sense to want to avoid certain things. And I think without that kind of sometimes that gentle push, sometimes people kind of get stuck in that cycle of avoiding certain things as well. Mm. And hopefully that's where the learning comes in is like if you're able to do things outside of session that ease the session to reflect on um, what you were able to do or maybe what was more difficult to do so that you can learn that normally 
things aren't as bad as what you anticipate that they're going to be. So it's challenging that um, that vicious cycle of avoidance and that um, you know that we we can we can do it and give it give it, boosting that confidence in ourselves. And I think that's the other thing with CBT, like there's a lot of between session practice. And the reason we do that is not just because we're mean and get you to do extra homework, but actually it's really important to keep practicing that because with things like anxiety, what we know is over time exposure actually will reduce the anxiety. And what you get to find out is sometimes that feared consequence won't happen. And a lot of people tend to catastrophize, myself included. Um, And actually knowing that you can cope in certain situations can be really helpful. And I'm just thinking, how do you prepare somebody for the for the for starting CBT? Yeah, so for preparing for starting, what we normally do is we spend quite a while on sort of psychoeducation. So actually, really understanding what anxiety is, um, and also why we're doing treatment. Because, like I say, that's really important because we're asking young people to do things that can be quite scary. Mm. So actually, looking at why and how doing exposure will actually help. So what does it do? Sometimes I quite like a bit of, you know, neuroscience. I like to introduce the brain sometimes if a young person likes it. I know that some people that might not be helpful for them, but I always like to kind of look at that as well and how, you know, exposure speaks to the kind of fear center of our brain, which sometimes you can't just talk to. It needs to be kind of shown that it's okay, which is why we do exposure. So it's so it's helping the young person to understand why they're doing. What yeah, they're I think doing. that's really key because I think what can happen is if you don't understand why you're doing something and we're asking you to do something that's really scary, they'll be like, well, why am I going to do that? So I think it's really important for me to kind of take that time and explain. So we would really focus in the initial sessions around psychoeducation um, and then we'd kind of move on to kind of looking at goals because I think also before we start doing that, it needs to be that it is their goal. So not just me saying, oh, I think you could work on this because they might be sitting there thinking, well, that's not my problem. And actually, I really want to work on this. And actually, if we do that, they're going to be more motivated to make changes rather than it just being something that I've you know, said that you need to do. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll start looking at, for things like anxiety, looking at fear ladders and things that are really scary. We'll look at the cycle of avoidance. And then we sort of around session four or five, we start going out and doing the more practical things as well. So like exposure or sort of the things like OCD, it would be exposure response prevention. So actually they would do exposure. So the thing that they they fear, but also not do a ritual. Um, and then also like for depression, we'd go out and do behavioral activation. Um, so there's slightly different treatments depending on kind of what the sort of problem is as well. Mm, it sounds like it's really detailed and complex, but um, um, do young people find that when they're um, actually doing it? I don't think, no, I don't think, I think, again, that's getting to know the young person. And actually, I think the other thing that I want to promote is that CBT can be quite relaxed and quite, I don't want to say fun, that's the wrong word, but we can go out and do some creative things. So it's not always in the therapy room. It's not always me sort of sitting you know, across on a chair looking at you, which some people find really hard. Um, I think it's tailoring it and explaining it in ways that young people understand. And with CBT as well, there's a lot of checking that actually sessions are useful. So at the end of most sessions, I'll do session feedback and we build that relationship where they can say, actually today I had no idea what you were saying and I think you need to explain it again. And we can take that time to do that. And I think being able to track that progress, we've talked about this before, haven't we, is so important for, for you guys to be able to see that you might you actually might not feel that you're getting better, but actually being able to answering those questions and you being able to track it, Gemma, must be really helpful. Do you do you find that? Yeah, I think it can be really helpful seeing your progress 
visually with like questionnaires that we have to do in the past I've been shown graphs and things which show how my scores have changed over the years and I found that really helpful I've only done that once but I think it's something that most people would benefit from did that surprise you when you saw it on the graph compared to how you felt was it yeah Yeah. kind of some things had got better and some things had got worse so it was kind of a way of seeing what my struggles were and what I actually needed to focus on rather than what we were focusing on at the time and I think it can be really useful for me because sometimes if if I think something's going well, but actually there's other areas where actually it seems that things have maybe gone backwards or maybe aren't improving, then we can have those conversations. So it's really good to open up those honest conversations. So it's not just, you know, me kind of doing what, you know, I think's best and then saying that that's, that's the treatment. It's very much kind of a teamwork kind of situation with CBT. It should be really collaborative. But it should be... That should apply to all therapy, shouldn't it? Because young people are Mm. generally, young people, adults, you're not going to invest in something if it's just somebody telling you this is what we're going to do. It has to be an agreement. You have to agree to work at it. Would you you agree with that, Lucy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah. Does all all this sound familiar in the work that you're doing? Yeah, it does make me think about certain things, yeah. Yeah. Because it's... It's good to tailor things because personally I'm quite logical but I'm also a lot of a talker but it's been nice to do things that I haven't done before in other types of therapy which I guess is somewhat what CBT has meant for me um, even if it's not necessarily what the book might say sometimes but being able to do specific activities it's nice to have that experience with people. And having experience of other types of therapy how has CBT differed for for you guys from your perspective um it felt more focused on me whereas a lot of other therapy you know you go cry for about 40 minutes about maybe the same (laughs) thing you cried about last week um it was nice to do more self-evaluation and discovery so for me um I did a session where we had things that were important to me and so my therapist made some cards so you know standards like family animals education so things that I obviously liked and obviously didn't like and then things in the middle that I could rate Mm. which I thought was really helpful because for me I kind of had to reinvent everything of myself which can be exciting but is intimidating but so it's nice to find those things and realize that there's more to you than you often realize And I think also it sounds like some of the strategies and some of the tools that, you, that you've described using, it sounds like also CBT, uh, well, I guess it's a question, do you think that it meets um, meets the needs of people with quite different different learning styles? I guess some people are very visual, some people are very experiential and action-orientated. How, how, is, how adaptable is CBT to other people's styles? Yeah, I, I think it's really adaptable. And again, it's kind of like what Lucy was saying. You can make it a lot more visual because like I say, worksheets, that's the biggest criticism CBT seems to get from young people is it doesn't work for everybody. So it's about kind of looking at their likes and what they're passionate about and sometimes bringing that into therapy. I've done before where we talk about unhelpful thinking styles, but we use song lyrics, um, which can be really helpful. And it just sometimes brings it alive. And I think like Lucy was saying, it is really important to kind of tailor it um, and I think it's really adaptable in that way. So you can make it, if people, re- some people do really love worksheets and kind of structure and it works really well for them, but it's not just for people who love structure. Um, it can be really creative as well, which is what I've found. And I think before I started doing CBT, I thought, oh, it's just really structured. There's a lot of paper and 
actually you can make mm. it really creative and mm. and I, I really love that about CBT. Mm. I think you can use that as a framework and a structure mm. but you can almost have that to one side and refer to it and draw out your own things together and um, yeah make it adaptable in, in that way. So you mentioned you mentioned that it works well for depression, anxiety and OCD. Are there any other any other um, presentations and difficulties mm. that you would recommend CBT for? Yeah, there's. I feel like there's not a lot that it wouldn't help with. Um, we look at body dysmorphia, it works really well with. Um, like you said, OCD, depression, social anxiety, generalised anxiety, and um, pretty much everything. Mm. Um, even things like anger sometimes, it can be really useful. Um, so yeah, I, I think mostly everything really. Yeah, and and specifically PTSD as well. There's CBT for PTSD in yep. terms of trauma-focused CBT as well, which is partly looking at, well, it's looking at that vicious cycle, but also initially doing some gra grounding work, thinking about coping strategies um, and how that vicious cycle and formulation works out day to day. Um, but then thinking about what's happened and sort of reprocessing. So the idea being that um, traumatic memories aren't processed like normal memories are um so there's a specific uh, way of of working in in cbt of helping people sort of organize those memories if you like so that they don't experience flashbacks and nightmares and um that they often use a a cupboard analogy of like you know you've everyone's got that like that laundry cupboard or that that the, the door keeps opening and things keep falling out if it's not organized and that's um sort of made a parallel to traumatic memories how they can suddenly sort of come up when you when you don't want them to if it's not organized properly and say so that can be a good way of explaining how it can help sometimes because it's quite an abstract you know it's a it's a different way of trying to understand things isn't it but um yeah so that's another way that cbt can can help with ptsd as well okay. and i'm just wondering how adaptable is it for different age groups i would say yeah it, um it is i think like we like we've said before making things visual bringing like um objects even into the room um and actually doing things together mm. um mm. that that really helps make it age appropriate and at the end of the day it's the individual isn't it and thinking about their interests and because people can be different ages but actually different interests and obviously learning difficulties as well which mm -hmm. um it's certainly adaptable for for different age groups what I think is important for that where there maybe is difficulties with understanding or age um, groups and often CBT is criticised for not being what we call systemic so like not um, not thinking about uh, the broader context of family and school and things around the person it's quite individualised yeah, yeah. it can be criticised for but I suppose it depends on the therapist's way of working that you, you can make it more systemic by getting families involved educating um, them on what you're doing and 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 supporting them in the understanding for example with exposure therapy getting them to also do exposure activities with young people outside of sessions so they're sort of um, having teachers and people within the young person's family as like co-therapists sort of things I, I don't know if you experienced that or had um, do you have any other people doing activities with you or is it mainly in therapy um, it was mainly in therapy for me but mm. I have had it's been nice to see my well it's for me it was my mum learn mm. alongside me somewhat um which was quite interesting and sometimes she talks to me about it um about because uh, i don't remember much of 
when I was going through stuff how she said she had no idea what to do either mm. so it's nice even if it's not a direct, as directly as you then to be able to get a little bit of guidance from that as well sometimes mm. Yeah, I think getting families involved is key as well. Like you say, because sometimes people, you know, try and do the best, but actually it's not helpful. And with CBT as well, what we look at is kind of what's maintaining the problem. So sometimes it might be that families are being really well-meaning and really trying to help, but actually they're keeping the problem going. So what you find with anxiety a lot of the time is, you know, understandably, you know, families are, are want to do the best for the young person, but they can take on a lot of, the responsibility so if they don't want to go to school sometimes they can encourage them not to go to school and sometimes that might not be the best thing again everybody's different and um, but I think it's also key for families to be involved because sometimes that can keep the problem going but actually I think also families sometimes just aren't aware of kind of how anxiety works and I think that's one of the things I've learned is it's kind of one of those things that you think is really common sense or like depression but actually how much do we know and I think actually just spending time with parents and explaining them can actually help with some of those arguments so it sounds like involving family within the work is really useful because I suppose that for instance with somebody who is who has fairly low mood in suffering depression one of the things that we know with that is motivation is quite low often and I think so recruiting family alongside to learn some of the CBT strategies that you're teaching the young person that then I suppose what they can do then is encourage that young person to continue the work the, or the, the homework I don't like calling it homework but <laughs> me neither but most people no, are like just yeah, call it okay. homework because okay. I try and call it between session practice <laughs> No. I like okay. that. What That's language nice. do you guys prefer? <laughs> the work that you do at home, then. Let's <laughs> rephrase it that way. Okay. Um, so, so yeah. So, I mm. suppose you, using the... Fa- so, it sounds like part of CBT work from what you're saying is is, is recruiting the family as a, as a resource as well. Mm, and I yep. suppose there's a, there's, a, there's a double whammy with that, is that if they're also learning the strategies to support the young person with some of the struggles they got, I suppose the family's understanding of the struggles also increases too. Um, and so, so, it sounds to me, if you're able to support the family to understand some of the strategies that you're using then the work kind of carries on outside of your session with a bit more effect exactly um, so it's almost like recruiting the family as as um, therapeutically yeah 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 yeah, mm. yeah and i think there's also a bit of um debate at the moment as well of like actually with really young children actually teaching parents to be co-therapists or actually teaching them the cbt skills rather than actually having the young person there so there's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, and I think that's an interesting area as well. And I think it is so useful to have families involved. And I think actually they're, they're really thankful to actually know what to do sometimes because mm. it can be really hard to know what to do for best. If a young person, you know, is really low in mood and, you know, they're seeing them struggle. I think an easy thing sometimes to do is to kind of, you know, sometimes, you know, if they don't want to go to school to be like, okay, like, let's not do that. Um, and I, I guess in some cases that there, there does, you know, everybody's an individual and sometimes we need to look at, you know, um, home tutoring and things like that. But there's sometimes in the beginning where it's helpful to try not to avoid certain things, but families can be really well-meaning, but actually kind of sometimes facilitate that sometimes. Mm. So in the circumstances of involving family, how would you go about that? Would you obviously seek the young person's consent to bring the parents into the sessions or would you have a separate session with the parents? How, How would that work? Again, that's really dependent on the individual. There are some young people who do not want parents at all involved, and you know, you know that you, sometimes. 
that's you know that's fine um, and that's because I would never do yeah equally they might want you know mum and dad to understand something but they don't necessarily want to be in the session with them because that feels too difficult so sometimes we'll have one-to-one sessions with mum and dad and you know I'll always talk to the young person about what they're happy for me to share and what they're not happy for me to share and so it's really led by the young person and but what I will say is it can be really helpful to involve family for for the reasons you've said even if it's like you don't want to kind of go into sort of everything we've said in session but it might be that we're working on exposure and actually it's really important for maybe families to be able to support with that and to understand what you're doing and it can also be helpful with uh, awareness so for some people the awareness um, particularly with autism spectrum conditions the awareness of physical feelings the awareness of emotions um, and and behaviors sometimes like for, for families to help with um, that understanding as well being like oh do you remember this time and giving concrete examples of when things have happened so mm-hmm. sometimes I think some of the questions that are asked in therapy can be quite broad or difficult to um, to tangibly point an answer yeah. yeah so that can be sometimes another um, example of where it can be helpful is mm-hmm. the, the understanding and um, yeah of behaviours and physical symptoms how they sort of all interact and awareness of when I feel an emotion, what 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 do I do? What do other people notice? And and then helping reflect on that, like, oh yeah, maybe I do do that. Um, yeah. So Jay, earlier you mentioned that you still use some of the strategies that you learn in your CBT sessions. Can you give us an example of that? What sort of things do you do you use? Um, things like just managing in times of panic, like how to just get through that, and how to like process your thoughts and rethink things um i found it quite difficult because i've got asd so sometimes labeling my emotions is really hard so i found that a barrier in my cbt and that's partly why it didn't work for me but i'm currently doing dbt and we're talking a lot through that and we're adapting it to focus more on so it's less difficult because i can't label emotions a way to do that differently rather than forcing me to which i wasn't diagnosed till later which is probably why my CBT wasn't very adapted because they didn't understand but I found that really difficult because they had asked me like and how does this make you feel and I'd just be like I don't know and they're like you just don't want to tell me and I'm like oh. <laughs> I do it I just can't label it yeah um but I think as awareness grows and there are ways to adapt therapy and like I said through doing DBT I can see the ways that you can change things to fit the person what is DBT for people who don't know um, I'll try my best to explain it. <laughs> um, From your experience. it's it, In my experience, it's been more practical. It's more of like how to live with how you're feeling rather than how to solve things, which I found really helpful. There's a, there's a lot about acceptance and accepting that you live with an illness. And I found that really helpful to like process how I feel. And it's made those times of crisis easier because I'm like, I know this will pass. This is just how I, this is how I, deal with things um I think it's more practical from what and logical, my experience and more logical yeah, more yeah. what can we do rather than how can we think about this differently and I know that's um a future podcast topic that we want to look at mm. because we've got a whole part dbt mm. pathway Do, what does dbt stand for dialectical behavioral therapy mm-hmm. okay <laughs> 
So that brings us to, I guess, a quite a natural break in this podcast. Uh, so this is the end of the first half of the podcast looking at CBT and also dog therapy. We haven't got to that yet, have we? Yes, we'll be talking about that next time. Um, we'll introduce Ruby properly and I'll talk a little bit about uh, dog-assisted psychological therapy, so how I'm integrating a therapy dog into different models of therapy. Okay, so come back next week because uh, it's going to be really interesting and uh, yeah, see you then. You've been listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford Cams team and the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using at camstalk or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to use the hashtag camstalkpodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.